Well, hey, good morning, Harvest. You guys are really, you're really going to miss that bumper video, I know. And we've been watching this uh, for months and months now because this is the last weekend in our series in Ephesians. And, you know, God's been so faithful and taught us so much through it. And I hope right now you're already grabbing your Bible and turning over to Ephesians. It probably just falls right open to the book of Ephesians. But we're going to be in Ephesians 6 today, so encouraged by all that the Lord has been teaching us through his word and we're excited to dig into it today. You know, I, I'm a pretty active person. I like to move around and run around a lot and do a lot of activities. And I absolutely hate standing still. It's like one of my least favorite things. This week we, uh, we took our kids to a water park, you know, and you like stand in this long line holding this massive tube in the blazing sun for like, 45 minutes for a 45-second tube ride. Let's go do it again. It drives me crazy. And so if you've done that before, if you've been to Great America and you've stood in line for an hour and 45 minutes for a 15-second ride, or you've stood in traffic on 90, oh my gosh, that little thing that says similar ETA, but it takes me through a neighborhood I can at least move, please. You know, it's the standing still that drives me crazy. If you're standing in a super long line at the grocery store and that person in front of you is paying with a check, what year is it? Check? I can't stand standing still. It drives me nuts. And yet, that's exactly what Paul is calling us to do in our text today is he's coming to an end to this beautiful letter of Ephesians that we've learned so much about. He's giving the believers in Ephesus and us a specific message, a final message, and that is to stand firm, to stand in who you are. And when your actions match your reality, that's what it means to stand firm. Let's see it in the text, Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And if we're going to put this text into practice, we're going to need the Lord's help. So let's pray now. Father, we are grateful that you have given us your word. We're grateful that you have instructed us through these many months and you've grown us in what it means to stand because of the eternal portfolio that we have. And so, God, would you instruct us today? Would you be with us today? Would you keep the spiritual forces at bay in our lives so that we can glorify you and stand firm in this battle, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if we're going to stand in who we are in Jesus Christ, we need to first stand in the Lord's strength. Paul begins here by saying 
This strength comes from the Lord. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. He assumes that there is a battle raging for your soul and for mine. That the enemy is at work, that it's an active, challenging battle. And the things that we go through in this life as believers are not easy. And some of you have fought battles, and some of you are fighting battles right now that no person should ever have to go through. Some of you have experienced the death of a child, or a chronic illness, or a horrific abuse. Some of you have experienced financial ruin. You've lost your house. You've lost your business. Some of you have experienced the betrayal of someone close to you. And we look at the size of our battle and think, God, I can't go on. I don't have what it takes to stand in this. God, how could you allow this? How could you use this? But beloved ones, let me tell you that the size of the battle that we're going through is a proof of the size of the strength of our God. The things that you are wrestling with, when God brings us out of those, it's a display of his incredible strength. And so we stand in his strength in the midst of the battle that we're going through. There is a war going on, but it's not against those who we think it's against. Because it's easy for us to think that our battle is against my coworker or my spouse, or my neighbor who doesn't believe what I believe, or the media, or maybe people who are on the opposite aisle politically as you are, or maybe people who follow a false religion, or, or all of those other commenters on Facebook. It, see, it's easy for us to think that that's who we're fighting against. We're fight, we want a, a biblical view of marriage, and so we're fighting against the people in our world who don't have that view. But, but that's not what Paul says here. Who are we fighting against? We're fighting against our enemy, the schemes of the devil, and the authorities, cosmic powers of this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Oh, there is a battle going on, but it's not against who you think it is. And when we take the time and energy and fight against the people it's not against, that's when the enemy divides us. Because look at what the, the enemy uses. It's the schemes of the devil. It's trickery. You see, when the enemy lines up in front of you wearing red coats, holding rifles, firing at you, 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 you kind of know what the battle is like. You know who you're against. But when the enemy hides and blends in so that you don't know who they are or where they're coming from or what they're trying to accomplish, you have a very different battle going on. So what does spiritual warfare, what does a spiritual battle look like in my life? Well, we have and Christians have for a long time used these three D words to talk about the enemy's strategy in attacking us as Christians. First, the enemy seeks to divide, to separate Christians, to separate marriages, to separate families, to get you on your own feeling that you're all alone and there's nobody with you. He seeks to divide and then he seeks to deceive, to lead us 
to believe something that's false, to pull us away from God's word, to have us to doubt God's promises and God's faithfulness to you, to even get us to the point where you doubt the reality of what we have in Jesus Christ. It's the strategy of the enemy to divide, to deceive, and then to destroy, to make us ineffective in following Jesus Christ, to get you and I off of the mission of bringing glory to God by making disciples of all nations. That's the enemy's strategy, to divide, to deceive, and to destroy us. But we stand in the Lord's strength against it. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. You see, Satan is actively trying to convince you that you don't belong to Jesus Christ. You're not saved. God, God must be punishing you through this. God's not good. If you were, you're not worthy to be his child. God's forgotten you. God's not working in this situation. Listen, it's an ongoing battle, and it's one of the primary reasons that Paul wrote this book of Ephesians, because Satan is the father of lies. He's the accuser of the brothers and sisters. Satan would say, you aren't saved, but Paul reminds us, Ephesians 1, 7 and 8, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of your trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Our father of lies would say, God is punishing you through what you're going through. But Ephesians 2, 4 and following says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. You see, the enemy would say, You aren't worthy to be a child of God. But Ephesians 2, 19 would say, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And our enemy would say, God has forgotten you. God's not working in this situation. Ephesians 3, 20 and following, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power that is at work within us, to him be the glory and in Christ Jesus throughout all the generations forever and ever. That's what the truth of God's word has to say. And the enemy would seek to divide and to deceive and to try to destroy us by distorting the words of God did God really say? But we combat that against the truth of God's word because accusation is defeated by the accuracy of God's word. So when the enemy would tell you something that's against what God's word has to say, bring, back, bring yourself back to what God's word has to say. You see, we don't listen to the schemes of the devil, but we're strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. We stand in the Lord's strength. 
and we stand in the Lord's provision. Paul continues here in verse 13, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You see, we've been given this armor, this provision. So picture this. Paul is writing this letter from prison. And he's looking out the jail cell at the Roman guard, the Roman soldier who's standing guard over him. And as Paul is looking at this armor that he's wearing, Paul is reminded of the spiritual battle that we're in. He's reminded of each piece of the armor that makes up the whole armor of God so that we can stand firm in the battle that's against us. And he says to withstand, to stand firm, to, it's to stand your ground. He's not even talking about taking ground. He's not talking about attacking the enemy. He's talking about plant your feet and don't move. That's what Paul is charging us to do, to stand. This is the goal of our struggle, not to move or to waver or to falter in the midst of a difficult battle, but to stand firm. And we notice that each of these pieces, it's far more defensive than offensive. We're not told to advance, but to hold our ground. Now, standing assumes that there is a battle going on. And we need to be ready for it. Standing shows readiness, alertness. It's, it's stay awake, be sober. He says that you may be able to stand. What Paul is saying here is that it is possible for you to stand firm in this battle that's going on. With God's strength and God's provision, you can stand. Now, I know how it feels to be in the midst of a trial and think, I, I don't got it. I, I, I can't anymore. I'm, I'm at the end of me. You're right. And that is why you need the Lord's strength and the Lord's provision to stand firm when everything in you wants to crumble. And he tells us that each of these pieces, he, he reiterates the fact that take up the whole armor of God. And so while the individual pieces are really interesting to study and to look at and to wrestle with, and, you know, there's like... VBS lessons and all sorts of things like that that are really cool on what is the righteousness of God and all of those. Um, but the thrust, really what Paul is going for here is to let us know that the point is the whole armor of God. You need all of this together, working together to be able to stand. He tells us about the belt of truth, this truth that's to be all around us, and this breastplate of righteousness, that it's Jesus Christ's righteousness that's given to me and to you because of what he's done. If we turn from our sins and embrace Jesus Christ by faith, we're putting on the breastplate of his righteousness. It's protecting us through what Jesus has done. 
And then we're told the shoes that are on our feet, given by the readiness, given by the gospel of peace, that we're to have this solid base, this solid footing. If you've ever played sports, you know that there's a saying like, oh, you got caught on your heels. It means you were kind of leaning back when the ball came. Instead, it's a readiness for what's going to happen. We just played a softball game with our cathedral team the other day, and it's really important to be on your toes and be ready for when the ball comes. And that's what Paul is talking here, this readiness. And because we recognize that the gospel is ultimately the only thing that can and does bring peace, it's the thing that gives us security. That's why he says that it's the readiness of the peace that comes from the gospel. And any soldier will tell you that they want two things. First, they want victory. And then second, they want peace. And a soldier in the midst of the battle is looking forward to those things. And Paul is telling us, in the midst of the battle, your footing, the readiness that you have because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that brings peace. It brings security to you and to me in the midst of the battle. No matter how the battle rages, you're secure because of what Jesus Christ did for you and for me on the cross. That's our reality. He tells us to take up the shield of faith and this image is of the the enemy shooting flaming arrows at the believer and the shield of faith, our faith in the faithfulness of God is the peace that helps us extinguish the attacks of the enemy, and to be victorious over it. We're told to take up the helmet of salvation. It's a symbol of victorious salvation that's found in Jesus Christ because he has already won the victory. A really cool parallel passage is in Isaiah 59, 17. You can look it up sometime this week on your own. Isaiah 59, 17, where, where he's talking about the Messiah, Jesus And he says, he put, Jesus, he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And so Paul, as he's looking at this Roman guard and thinking about all of these, the whole armor of God that we put on, he's reminded of the book of Isaiah, these promises that were given that the Messiah would come with righteousness and with victorious salvation And now because of what Jesus has done, we put on that same armor because we have the victory of what our Messiah accomplished. And then he says the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, it's a, this is the only piece of the whole armor that's not defensive. And it's really interesting that when Jesus was tempted by the enemy right after his baptism, at the beginning of his ministry, What did Jesus do to attack back, to defend himself? He quoted God's word. Satan kept saying, well, what about this? And you just go up on this mountain and throw yourself down and people will worship you and it'll be great and you should do that. And and Jesus right away came right back to God's word. You should worship God alone because that's our offensive in the battle against the enemy. When we're trying to stand firm, go back to God's word. You know, I kept, when I kept thinking about these, uh, this armor of God this week, I kept thinking about Iron Man, which maybe is like a nerdy thing to bring up in church. I don't know, sorry. But I kept thinking, because he does this like press conference in the first thing, and he's like, I am Iron Man. But like, I mean, is he really until he puts the suit on? 
He says he is. But because it's his reality. I created the thing. All of it is part of me. But he becomes Iron Man when he takes the suit and puts it on. And that's what we're called to do here. To put on truth and righteousness and the the gospel of peace and faith and salvation and the word of God. Listen, what he's saying is, you already have it. You're standing firm in all of these things. And so put it on. Act like it. Live like it. Because my standing in Christ leads me to my actions for Christ. And so that's what we do. We put it on because it's already been done for us. Stand in who you already are in Jesus Christ. When I'm on an airplane, I get to take on all of the attributes of that airplane. I get to fly. Now, can I really fly on my own? Of course not. But I'm taking on all of the attributes of that plane so that now I'm flying. And that's what we're doing here when we take on the whole armor of God. We're putting on all that Jesus Christ is and has made you to be, and we're living like it. On my own, I am not able, you are not able to stand firm in the battle that rages around us. But as we put on this armor of God, as we stand in the Lord's power, as we stand in the Lord's provision, we're able to stand in the midst of a battle. And I know what it feels like to think, like, I I can't go on, I don't have enough to go on, but this armor is what the Lord gives us to be able to stand firm in all of it. Because he is enough, and he has provided what you and I need to stand in the strength of his might. Second Peter 1 verse 3 says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He has given you everything you need to be able to stand firm in the midst of the battle. So stand in the Lord's power and stand in the Lord's provision and then stand with constant prayer. He continues in verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. You see, Paul links these things closely. You can't just put on the armor. You can't just rely on God's strength. You need constant prayer in order to stand in who you are. How would you ever expect to stand firm in the battle that's going on around you if you're not talking to the one who holds all of it in his hands? Psalm 127.1 says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor do so in vain. So any amount of standing, of trying on your own strength to, I'm going to make it this week. I'm going I'm to get past this trial. I'm going to do it. None of it will matter if you're not going to the Lord constantly in prayer and seeking his strength. And many of you 
are not able to stand firm in the midst of the trial that you're going through right now because you're not continually going to the Lord in prayer. And oh, we would stand there and say, oh, I know prayer is important. It's, it's one of our pillars. I mean, of course, it's important. And yeah, I, I, want, I, I pray. But, but then we don't actually take the time to get on our knees. We don't actually take the time to pull out a list. We don't actually take the time to cry out until your voice is hoarse for our Lord to work in the midst of the battle that's going on. And we would say, well, I get, I, you know, I get busy and I, I just forget and, and God knows my heart and I'll, I'll do it next week. Or, I, I, you know, I, I, I tried. I, I tried. I actually spent I, every day the last week, I spent four minutes praying and I, just, the Lord didn't answer. Listen, he says over and over, all prayer, pray at all times. Keep alert with all perseverance. He's telling you continually, don't give up. It's the persistent widow who comes before the Lord. All, over and over. It's really interesting. You know, uh, here's a little freebie. Like in relationships, don't ever say always or never. It's just a bad plan. You always do this. You never take me anywhere. It's just, it's just bad. But when you're talking about prayer, I think we could take uh, what Paul says to heart. He says, praying at all times with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. I think he's trying to tell you and I that all is pretty important. Continue in it. And he says here to pray for yourself, to bring your requests to the Lord constantly. When was the last time that your knees hurt that your throat was hoarse and your face was wet with the tears from your crying out to the Lord. Because that's what Paul is telling us to do. He's not telling you like in your car, turn the radio down for a couple seconds and pray for that meeting that you have today. He's telling you to get on your knees all. Cry out with everything that you have. When was the last time that you did that? Because this should be a regular occurrence for you and me, Christian. This should be something that we're continuing to come back to. If you've got to put a reminder on your phone, if you've got to put it on your calendar, if you've got to put a post-it note on the mirror in your bathroom, whatever you need to do, but make this a priority to at all times be coming before the Lord. He says that we should be praying for ourselves, bringing your requests before the Lord with all prayer and supplication. So pray for yourself, but also prayer for other believers, your brothers and sisters. I love that we were doing that as a part of our services, that we're doing that together. You should be in a small group where you're actively praying for your sisters and brothers on a regular basis. I have a note on my phone that is, uh, I have a daily prayer things that I'm praying for every day, and then I have, a, I just titled it Weekly Plus. I want to do it every couple days. These are specific things, because we're not the type of church who says, oh, I'll pray for you, which essentially means I'm sending you good thoughts. <laughs> Forget that. That's not who we are, and it does nothing. It accomplishes nothing. Prayer to our Heavenly Father who holds it all does accomplish something. Listen, I don't have anything that I can give, really, to my brothers and sisters in my small group, to the people that I love and care for. I don't, me 
just thinking about them does nothing. But me talking to the Lord about them and crying out that God would do something, that he would act, that he would give them the strength to stand firm, that's when things are accomplished. That's when things happen. We're not a, sure, I'll pray for you, church. We're a, okay, let's pray right now. That's the type of church we are. And I love it when I see in all of our buildings, all of our campuses, people in the lobby or up front or, or out in the parking lot with their arm on someone's shoulder, I'm praying for you right now. That's who we want to be, brothers and sisters, because our Heavenly Father holds it all. He is the one that's able to make you and I stand firm in the midst of any trial that you would have. And it only happens when we go to the Lord in constant prayer. So we pray for ourselves, we pray for all, for other believers. And then he says, make supplication for all the saints. This is a super interesting point, because we are all in a battle with, uh, with one another, but not against one another. We're alongside other believers. And there is an enemy that's sending flaming darts at us. And trust me, it's not the church down the street. We do have an enemy, and we're to pray for those in our neighborhoods and around our country and across the world who are seeking to serve Jesus Christ. And they may not go to the same church as you. They might not even be in the same camp as us at times, but they're our brothers and sisters, and they're at work for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul is calling us, and I am calling us, to pray for those people. Supplication for all of the saints who are serving the Lord Jesus. There are Bible-believing, gospel-preaching, Jesus-loving churches all over the place, and you should be praying for them. There's one a mile from every one of our campuses, and we're praying for those churches to have a gospel impact in this world because the world needs Jesus Christ. Listen, I, the world doesn't need us. It, truthfully, it doesn't even need our church. It needs Jesus. And we exist to make him known to a world that desperately needs him. We exist to make disciples of all nations. And it doesn't just happen with us. And so we're praying for all of the saints together. And then Paul ends by saying a prayer for him, for words given to him to preach with boldness. You know, it's so interesting where there's so much persecution that happens in the world even today. And as we've read and you've seen on social media and heard in the news, some of the Christians right now who are giving their life because they follow Jesus Christ. And that persecution is happening all across the world. And we should continue to pray for those brothers. But here is so interesting to me. Paul is in prison. He says, I'm an ambassador in chains. And he doesn't ask for provision in it. He doesn't ask to be set free. He doesn't even ask for better food, which is probably what I would ask for. He, he asks for boldness. If you're praying for me, the thing I want you to pray for is that I would have boldness, that I would declare the gospel as I ought to speak. Just like Peter and John in the book of Acts, they said, we can't but speak about what we've seen and what we've heard. And Paul is saying, like, I, I have to talk about it. I have to say it. 
I have to tell people about Jesus, and regardless of what storm I'm in, regardless of what jail cell the enemy has put me in, pray for boldness to speak the gospel. That is standing firm, and that's what he's calling us to. And so if we, if the church hopes to stand in the midst of the battle that we see ourselves in, it's going to happen by standing in the Lord's strength. It's going to happen by standing in the Lord's provision. And it's going to happen by standing in constant prayer. Let's hold our ground together, sisters. Let's stand together, brothers. Now, why does Paul repeat stand so much as we come to a close here? Because Paul mentions it four times throughout this short passage. Stand, stand, withstand. Why does Paul focus so much on standing? I think it's because so much damage is done when we retreat. That the damage that's done by not standing in the midst of a trial is devastating. And so Paul calls us to do that. So when you want to cut a corner to get ahead at your job, or when you're tempted from, to run from your marriage or your family because it's difficult, when you want to cut ties with a friend because of conflict that you have, when you feel like quitting everything and just walking away, and when it hurts to hope that the future will be any different, stand in who you are. Stand because of what God has already accomplished in you. Stand in his power and in his provision and in constant prayer. Galatians 6, 9 would say, as Paul closes another one of his letters, and let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. We stand in who we are. Let's pray. Father, we pray for strength right now. God, you tell us to come to you, to call to you, and you will answer and show us great and mighty things that we have not known. And so, God, we pray that you would answer that prayer. God, we pray that you would give your strength to your people, your people in our church, your people in churches across this nation who right now are gathered to worship and to, to make disciples and to stir one another up. God, we pray that you would give strength to stand to your people across the world who are going through difficult trials even right now. God, for the one who's in one of our worship centers or, or watching online and going through a difficult battle right now, God, I pray that your peace would be with them. I pray that your comfort in knowing that they can stand because of your power at work in them, I pray that that would fall on them right now. God, that they would feel your presence in their lives. God, I pray for the one who's feeling like this battle will never come to an end. 
God, how much longer do I have to stand in this same spot with seemingly no advancement? God, would you be their strength? Would you be their provision? God, I pray for the one who has been praying constantly, who has spent the time on their knees and the time crying out to you. God, the one who feels like an answer will never come, the end of this battle will never come. God, would you be their strength through it? Would you bring a light at the end of the tunnel? Would you work even this week? Would you declare yourself strong in their life? God, maybe you won't bring them out of the battle this week, but would you turn the tide? Would you display to them that you're at work even now, even in the darkest valley, in the the hardest battle? And God, we pray for all of the saints, for the Bible-believing Christians in this land and across the globe who are serving you. Would you be their strength? Would you work in them? Would you take the efforts of their, their hands and put them to good use as they plant seeds each and every day? Lord, would you help us to reap a harvest of righteousness that's found in you? And God, for each of us, would you give us the boldness to speak for Jesus Christ? Would you give us the boldness to stand in the midst of a battle and a trial that continues to go on? You are faithful and you are strong over it all. We've seen you work in the past and although we haven't gone through this before, we've seen you deliver us from that before and so we trust you in the midst of it. So God, would you show yourself strong? Would you give us the strength to stand in who we are for your glory and your purposes. Would you allow us to reap as we don't give up in this battle for Jesus Christ? Help us to hold our ground. When we feel like we can't go on, we pray that you would be our strength through it all. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.